Hello and welcome back to the Seriously Good Podcast. I am your host, Casey Evans, and I'm joined again this week after a week away in sunny Spain by my co-host, Danny Corker. And how are you today, Danny? I'm good. I'm refreshed, rearing to go after a week off. Uh, lots has happened since then. How are you? Uh, I, I've gone through all of the seem, seemingly all of the options of weather, bath, snow over the last co- a couple of weeks. I've had I've had rainstorms to absolutely boiling heat. It's been it's just been a mess in Manchester. But yeah, I'm fine. I'm chilling. I'm ready to talk about the Serie A because we were like, oh yeah, well, Danny will go away. Uh, Napoli might win the league, but that would probably be the only talking point in the league. No, no, it just went. It's just gone absolutely to pot within uh, two two weeks of football so we're going to talk about that we're going to start obviously with Napoli winning their second league title thanks to Victor Osimen. they they made a bit of meal out of it at the end they had those decorations up and then they had those decorations down and then they had those decorations back up again it's like it's like if Christmas was like was a negotiable it's like Santa Claus might go oh, I might actually I might actually not turn up this year but then I will like, oh, well, it's, uh, um but yeah, the, the, the celebrations were fantastic to watch. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you were able to watch in the match, but I'm guessing you saw the celebrations on social media. Yeah, I didn't see the game. I saw celebrations, although a lot of people were posting videos of Split in Croatia <laughs> celebrating their ultras celebrating, which was not in Naples, but the actual scenes were were insane. Obviously, it was it was delayed for a week, and it was kind of anticlimactic, I guess, because they drew away and the furthest away team from them in the league. But the scenes were incredible and uh, Zielinski lost his shorts very quickly after the celebration started, which was it, funny. It, it was deeply weird. It was like every single fan came onto the pitch and instead of being like, let's, let's celebrate with my heroes, they're like, strip, give me the shorts. Give me your shirt. I want to remember this. And then Italy being Italy, it wasn't without mad with the fact that in one of the major photos of the celebrations, there's just a Confederate flag just, just in the celebrations, it was it was so weird. But it was like oh, I I don't, I'm not gonna blame him. Like I, I'm gonna blame him for the Confederate flag because that's dodgy as hell. But like I'm I'm not gonna blame him for just being weird because they've won a title. They're gonna do weird things. They're just gonna get drunk. Half of them were probably necked half of the, <laughs> the alcohol in Naples by that point. But yeah, uh, it was a really it was a really fun uh, night. Obviously. It was really nice. I, it was on the same day that United managed to lose to uh, West Ham. I think it was West Ham, or was it Brighton? It might be Brighton. I can't remember. It was one of the two. It was. It was one of the. Really, it was Brighton actually. Yeah. So I had. I, it could have been either. I was depressed in both. So <laughs> I was able to watch the celebrations and enjoy. But the rest of the top four has kind of shifted around a lot. Um, Juventus are now second on sixty-four points. Lazio have dropped to third after really losing steam in the past couple of weeks. Inter have found form again. They've been winning constantly. And yeah, it's 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 with AC and Roma have kind of dropped away completely. And I think from Mourinho's comments it definitely looks like they're going to try and win the Europa League as their kind of way into Champions League football. Because it's been a bit messy. So all change in the top four. Uh what do you think of that Danny? Yeah, obviously, Juve got their points back, but they've not really. So I think most people expect them to get nine points deducted now, which will take them right out of the race. So they probably won't have Champions League football next season unless they obviously win the Europa League if they're playing Sevilla tonight. Yeah, Lazio's, Lazio looked like a... I think we even said it on here, like 
we thought that they're basically confirmed for the Champions League football the way they're going, but they, they've lost three out of the last four. I think the only team they've beat are a Sassuolo team that have kind of fallen apart, gone to the beach, whatever you want to call it, in the last few weeks, and now they don't really look certain. Uh, Milan are three points behind them in fifth. Uh, Atalanta, who you, you gave a dark horse shout to, are... Are right there, like they're not far off. The fifty-eight, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it's really like obviously the title was decided and by like the World Cup in in Serie A. Like there wasn't anything, but this is gonna go right down to the last match day. There's a lot of teams that still still need to play each other. I have no idea who it'll be. It won't be Roma because they will just end up resting players. I think. Um, I think they're playing Leverkusen as well tonight in the Europa League semi-final. So yeah, I think it will be Inter will definitely be in there because, like you said, they've they've really found form, and obviously we're going to talk about them in the Champions League today. But in the league, they've just been scoring goals for fun. They went to Roma and completely tore them apart. Lukaku looks like his old self finally, suddenly. Even though Inter have confirmed they're not going to keep him on, he's suddenly playing like an actual striker again. So yeah, <laughs> the threat of going back to Chelsea is really is really really perked him up a bit. Um, yeah, I think I think I gave I gave out when when we were being serious. I said Fiorentina, but when we were actually being serious, I did say Atalanta was a, a really good um, shout for it. I think that it's just the fact that every team above them has been a bit of a shambles has probably given them a lot of leeway to get in there. Um, I'm quite happy that my shout of Monza just being the one that everyone trips over has just kind of held true. They, I think they've drawn like the last three matches one one, and that's kind of caused some problems for some teams. So I think they, that was a really good shout, and I'm gonna have to talk about the one that's gonna be your really good shout in a minute. But yeah, I I think it'll be interesting if AC if AC can't figure out the problems that we're about to discuss with their team, they might have a problem. And obviously, if Lazio don't, then Atalanta could sneak in. I think the thing about Atalanta as well is is that Hoyland's injured, Lukman's injured, so. Muriel and Zapata found form again and they're like they've been absolutely nowhere this season but in the last few weeks they've started scoring goals so I can't remember who it was against but Zapata scored like an incredible goal um, where like drove to the byline one-on-one with the defender chopped and just smacked the ball into the top corner like he looks like an old self they got beat by Juve last weekend which kind of was frustrating if they'd have got points there they'd have been really in with it but they still are um, and I don't think their games are too difficult but yeah if those two fire Atalanta into the Champions League in the last minute that'll be some story yeah with the with the points to Juve though they, they do have a real chance of it but yeah it's kind of like the old veterans who've just been drinking in the corner for the entire season they're just like actually just come and give us a hand and they're like yeah go on we'll, we'll show them what we're about looking down at the relegation zone uh, Sampdoria are done. Like there is no way they come back from this. They're affi- they're officially done now. Are they officially done? I thought I thought they had yeah. one. I thought they had a chance. I no, they had... uh, I can't remember who they play. Uh, Udinese. They, they they got beat on Monday night, I think, and that's them officially gone. And Genoa, their fierce rivals, went straight back up at the same on the same weekend. So fun weekend in that city. Yeah, lovely. Definitely not no fights breaking out in places there. You're 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 being a bit smug because Spezia have dropped into the relegation zone. Uh, they're now three points from safety with Hellas Runner on thirty and Spezia on twenty seven. 
the teams above them. It, it's, it's still very close, and there's still a chance that they can get out of it. But, yeah, I think your shout of them not having a striker <laughs> who scores 50% of their goals has really hampered them. Yeah, I mean, like, because a lot of those teams played each other since we last spoke, so... I mean, Spezia went away to Cremonese, who obviously we've talked about a lot, and got beat 2-0. Verona beat Lecce, who are also down there, but Lecce won a game out of nowhere recently um, against Udinese, and that kind of pulled them up a wee bit. So yeah, those three and four points isn't unachievable for Spezia, but I just don't know where they've. I don't know where the goals are coming from. They did score twice against Atalanta, but. I mean, they've got Milan, they've got Lecce away, they've got Torino at home, they've got Roma away. Those are some tricky games. Yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be a, a, an uphill climb, but you never know. It's one of those things. Syria can be one of the one of the most fun leagues to watch, and also the most unserious league in the world. And speaking of unserious, let us get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is. We thought because it's it's the all-Italian semi-final between two greats of Italian football, we'd focus on it for the first episode. What we wanted to do was a tactical breakdown and a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more big brain stuff. However, what we actually watched was an example of un- the unserious football that can happen in Italy. So obviously, I, I just watched this match, so I watched it this morning just before we start recording. And I I can obviously talk a bit more on it then, but I remember watching or seeing the lineup come out last night. And I remember looking at Inter's team and going, oh, might have a little bit of problems, like Brazil, which isn't in there with control. So maybe maybe it might be a bit of a struggle for them. Um, But that was kind of like the little minuscule details I had. I looked at that AC Milan team and I was like, what am I actually looking at? This is horrible. The defense was standard. Obviously, Mike Monion in net is great. Um, the defence was pretty standard with Fio Hernandez, Tamori, Kia, and um, Cal- Calabria. But then, from from there forward, was the most sh- shambolic combination of players I think that I've ever seen. And it only got worse when Benacel went off injured. But yeah, it just it, they just didn't seem to work together at all. And obviously, I'm guessing that you watched this, so you can probably talk a little bit more about the shambles that was the combination of Krunic, Brahim Diaz, Messias, and um, Salamakas. Yeah, like, I didn't watch it live, and to, like, a, I was in the cinema, I was watching the New Guidance Galaxy movie, but I checked my phone about halfway through to see, like, what was happening, and I just had a text from my, obviously, well-documented UV-supporting girlfriend, and all it said was, I am in hell. And that kind of, I was like, I had no idea what the score was, but I could tell it wasn't going well. I'd obviously seen the lineup before the game. Milan, like, there was no midfield intensity in there. I, there was no, there was just so many gaps between the different. So they're like, if, if you look at the second goal, like, there's a huge, like, huge gap that Mkhitaryan just walks through and is able to score a goal. There's, there's gaps all over the place, and then an attack like got Giroud who's obviously this excellent goal scorer excellent striker and you've got Brahim Diaz who I've had question marks about in the past but he has shown his worth a bit this season like he's very obviously he's very small low centre of gravity he can like 
sort of ski slalom through a defence. But then you've got, after Benacer comes off, you've got Messias and Salamakers. And Salamakers has his moments where he, like, obviously, like, Maradona twirled <laughs> in Naples and scored against them. But generally, he's not a very good footballer. Definitely not a footballer you'd expect to see in a Champions League semi-final. And then Messias is... He's got a nice story, but he's just not up to the level of quality. Like, we were talking just before this about that chance he missed where Tenali slipped him through and he tried to finesse shot it into the corner early and it was... Like, honestly, it was horribly executed. Uh, that's really... Like, that chance should have probably been a goal. And if you have a, a half-decent right-winger latching on to that, you've got someone that either drives further towards the goal and hits it low and hard, or you have someone that can cut in with their left foot, maybe find someone at the back post, maybe find the back post himself. Like he his execution of that chance was like someone like a rabbit in the headlights, like he looked like he was far too out of his depth. It was a rabbit in the headlights who mistake the headlights for spotlights. That's what it was. He thought he was gonna do this absolutely outstanding chance where he could just curl it but top corner and then he just didn't get any curl on it whatsoever. It just went straight. And I'm like, what 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 are you doing? Like you could have just drove and maybe someone would have run in on the other side and you could have played it across or you could have done more with it. One of the questions, I'm not gonna wait to bring this question in because I thought it applied to the situation was if you had the choice, would you send Salamakas and Messias to Guantanamo or Siberia? So <laughs> that was from uh, Alex Donaldson, friend of the podcast and Guy who really hates Macy Milan's wingers that aren't Raphaelia. Um Probably the Hague. The Hague <laughs> to get to get cr- tried for their crimes. Yeah, but yeah, it's just it was just one of those things where the midfield just lacked any technical quality whatsoever. I think once Benfica went off, you had Tenali who has some technical quality. You always go through those stages of whenever the 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 bright lights are on Milan and everyone's watching, they go, "Oh, Tenali's wasn't this guy meant to be a Pirlo regen?" No. Never was. He was Gattuso. It's a Gattuso regen, if anything, because he's just an angry man who can pass a bit. So he has some on the ball quality. Like we saw it with the, the chance he created for Messiahs, but he's not consistently that good on the ball. He doesn't do amazing things regularly, and he doesn't do it like consistently throughout the 90 minutes. It's not like Brazovic on the other side when Brazovic came on. But. Then you look at the other options. Like, obviously, Brahim Diaz has some on-the-ball quality. I don't think he's actually, like, an amazing playmaker, really. Salamakas and Messias, I'm not even going to go into. They sometimes don't even look like they know what football is. And then we just get to Kroonich. And I, I, I have no words. I'm a writer, and I'm left... I'm a writer and podcaster, and I'm left speechless trying to explain what Kroonich was doing what Kroonich does in general. Like, he I, I, I has won... I'm, I'm correct in thinking he's won Serie B and Serie A, Kroonich, and I still couldn't explain to you anything that he's good at. He's he's, he's just an absolute thug. And he should have been sent off as well. Like, we, 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 I'm saying all this, I'm saying, like, it's like, he shouldn't be on the pitch. He fully just dug someone in the ribs, like, off a corner, off the ball. And I'm like, you're such an idiot, <laughs> like... That should have been called as a red card, and you should have. It could have given away a penalty. You could have just basically sent Milan out, like with that one decision, and it wasn't even to win a ball. Um, but yeah, I look at all these teams, and obviously, like we we've talked about the commentators off camera, and I think I'll let you take the lead on that. Like, 
you have all these experts there. Like, BT's are actually quite good for Serie A. They have really good experts. They have Richard Jameson and they have James Horncastle. And they usually get Italian players in to talk about it. But the lineup that they had was Steven Gerrard, Rio Ferdinand, Steve McManaman. And it was just horrible. Like, because Ferdinand came in and he went, at one point, he went, oh, the reason these Milan players aren't playing right is they've got stage fright at the, at the San Siro. They've got stage fright. A, a, this is the match that they play constantly. They know the pressure of. And I'm just like, I look at the team and I'm like, if you had someone who watched this this week in, week out, they could easily just tell you that that midfield and that combination of players was horrible. Yeah. Uh, like, first of all, like, yeah, the BT Sport thing is frustrating because you have James Richardson, who is like... <laughs> the face of Italian football in the UK, like, going back to the 90s. He was obviously the host of um, Gazetta. And then you've got James Horncastle, who's, like, an incredibly knowledgeable person about Italian football. And I obviously didn't catch the build-up, but you said there was a video message, and that was basically about it. Like, that's... I said, I used an anecdote. So, basically, I'll, I'll tell the anecdote again. So, like, you have all these... There's this thing in, in Kettering... Once Lindsay Lohan, this is complete tangent, but I, it's, I find it a funny story. Lindsay Lohan insulted Kettering. So the MP of Kettering went, oh, you need to apologise. She went, okay, fair enough. And he's like, and you need to do the Christmas light switch on. So obviously Lindsay Lohan wasn't going to do that and and went on. And then, and then she sent a video message. I was like, oh, I'm sorry I couldn't be here. And underneath this, they got to do this Christmas light switch on with this video message of Lindsay Lohan in the background. Heather from EastEnders. And... I'm like there just like, you've got Steven Gerrard talking about things that happened 20 years ago and the only thing he ever can bring up with AC Milan with the fact that he they come back in Istanbul. And then you've got James Horncastle just doing a two-minute video of like, oh yeah, sorry I'm not there. Um, AC Milan, Leal's out, all this sort of thing. Sweet, nice one, I'll see you later. Um, and I won't do any more like content then. And he's like, everyone's watching it for that sort of coverage. Like, even in that two minutes, he got across more than any of those commentators got. Yeah, like, BT Sports hand, like, it's just so poor. You've got, I think in the studio was Owen Hargreaves, who never played in Italian football. You've got Stephen Gerrard, never played in Italian football. And you had Rio Ferdinand, never played in Italian football. Like, they didn't even try to to help the situation. And then, like, the in-game commentary was poor as well. Like Every single comment that was made was, oh, an AC Milan team in the noughties wouldn't have done this. I'm like, yeah, the AC Milan team that was the, one of the best constructed teams in the history of the sport wouldn't have done this. Sweet. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that that very obvious anecdote has been made. And I'm glad that you pointed out something that even I think anyone on the street could have pointed out but what do I need to know about this AC Milan team now? Yeah and then you had McManaman adamant that Kiara's challenge on Lataro was a penalty and like like you said like fair enough if you watch that in real time you're thinking oh I think he's probably pulled him back there it's probably a penalty then you watch it back and McManaman doubles down that this is a penalty even though you can tell it's not like like, what, like commentators are meant to add to the experience in watching a football game they're not meant to like really detract from it and I think with this game and even the the City Real Madrid game like they're just taken away from the experience and obviously this is a a UK problem because they don't have Fletch and McManaman and and other countries they'll get different coverage but yeah it's, it's disappointing especially when you have 
like employees that are experts on this subject matter and you just choose not to use them because you think people want to listen to real Ferdinand and Steve McManaman talk like we don't we want to listen to people that know about the game of football I think we probably should touch on Leal being out the, the, the two the two the, I was going I was going to move on to the the positives I think was and I was going to mention Leal being out obviously wasn't a positive for this game but the fact that he's been training individually means he'll probably be back for the next one and that's a really good thing I think obviously he's missed it's kind of like imagine Real Madrid without Vinicius Junior it, but the Real Madrid team was much worse that's kind of what AC Milan are without Rafa Leal but he he should be back if they risk him at mid in the weekend I'm like obviously they still want to get top four so they might still play him but I would not be risking him because he has the quality that he can drag back this 2-0 deficit quite easily. Yeah, he's like a, like, we saw it, we've seen it time and time again, but you, like, you see it in the away leg in Naples where he literally, like, drags Milan up the pitch, squares it's Giroud's goal, it's all him. Like, he, Giroud obviously scores the goal, but the, the, the whole thing is Leal. And, like, even if Leal's not the guy that's sort of getting the ball and doing things with it he has like a gravitational pull where like teams are very aware like the best players have like they're very aware that that guy is there so they'll double team him they'll get a man to stick on him like like glue for like rudiger on haaland like that thing and what it does is it like it drags people out of position it, it creates space and separation for your other attackers yeah, it gives you a chance. It gives a chance for Phil Hernandez to get up the field a lot. I think, which is yeah, we didn't see that. So like, nobody's double teaming Salamakers. Nobody's double teaming Messiah. Salamakers. No one. No. No one's single teaming Salamakers and Messiahs. They do. They can mark themselves out of the game. So you're just yeah. You're leaving like, like it makes it so much easier for for Inter to defend, especially in Inter's like back three, back five shape. They don't have to drag people out of position. They can. They don't have to move Barella out a bit further in defensive their defensive structure because they don't need to. And and Barella can then go up the pitch and affect things and attack much much easier than than he would if Leal was there. And then, like you said, with Milan getting worse when Benacer is there, even Benacer's like starting sort of position when. When Leal's out, he kind of gets pushed up a little bit. Yeah, he was playing further forward, which is kind of like the, the the thing is, is like without Leal, like Pioli kind of found this three four three shape that he'd been playing really well with um, in over the after the sort of like downturn around the World Cup. But then he's had to change it because he wants to push Benacer forward because Benacer is one of the only midfielders they have with actually like genuine, consistent technical quality and creativity. So he's been pushed much further forward. And then obviously that means that Theo Hernandez has had to be behind. I think he was behind Brahim Diaz, and he can't. Really, Brahim Diaz doesn't hold any width, or he doesn't really. He, he doesn't really like allow for space for Theo Hernandez to go round or inside on. Um, and it's just kind of been a mess. Like Liao coming back into the side makes it a three-four-three. Three. Means you hopefully they can play Benacer, um or a three-four-three, three-five-two, whichever one they want to go with. Means hopefully they can play. Benacer and Tonali in the midfield. Hopefully they can put Phil Hernandez in a position where he can get further forward. Hopefully they can play off the wing. Yeah, and even, like, Benacer, to me, his best starting position is deeper. Like, you want him dictating tempo. You want him 
sort of progressing, the, receiving the ball, progressing it. You want him like sticking back. He is, he can go forward. He's good at it. But but Milan don't really have Tonali, like you said, is he's much more dog than he is like going to control a game. Um, Krunic is not going to control a game, and then like on tail Hernandez, yeah, like he's. The whole point and the, the whole way Milan have become like this very good team is is that Hernandez inverts. He obviously comes inside. He scored a goal not that long ago. I think it was while I was away, but he just received the ball in his own half and drove forward centrally and smacked it in from the edge of the box. If Leal's not there, Hernandez can't do that because nobody's getting dragged out to Leal. It's it's Salamakers, it's it's Messias. Nobody's they're just gonna leave those guys and they're gonna absolutely cover the space that Hernandez is driving into so yeah it's, it's it's a real depth issue with Milan and obviously the guys that they've brought in to kind of fix that uh, De Kittelari not had the great season I, I'm sorry I, I felt I felt I felt so bad for De Kittelari when it was um, Milan needs goals but who do they have on the bench and he just cuts it to Kittelari on the thing and he went ah yes Charles Cattellari, who has zero goals this season. And it's like, zero shots, zero goals. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, this man is getting like, absolutely rinsed by Steve McManaman. Like, I just need him. I feel so sorry for him. It's like the depth that they tried to bring in hasn't worked. They didn't even get, well, they might in the second leg, you never know, but they didn't even get like a Rigi sort of, how the heck has he done that in a big game magic when they brought him on? Look, well, see, we're playing him out. They were, play, they were playing him out wide. That was the one of the things I didn't realize. Because obviously they kept Giroud on because Giroud was their only real goal for it. But they played Rodrigo out wide, and he just looked like completely lost. Like he was receiving the ball, and he just couldn't make any movement because there was just no space for him to operate in at all. To be fair, I've seen Origi like Origi played out wide a lot for Liverpool. Origi, if he's out, if he's central, you're prob you're okay using him as a super sub, like as a as a like let's let the chaos ensue here. But his best spells as a wide player is when you were giving him consistent minutes when you were starting him there, when you could he could like get a feel of the ball, when he could really feel a game, when he could drive at people. Throwing him on with, I think it was 25 minutes, half an hour to go, out wide, you're not going to get Origi going like that, I don't think. Obviously, it might have been better than bringing Messias on if they brought Origi on a bit earlier. Especially, like... Origi's not the most refined player, but he's one of the few Milan players, along with Giroud, along with Kier, along with people I'm probably missing, uh, Teo Hernandez, that have played in like really, really big games in their career, and maybe that would have helped, maybe that's something that doesn't really matter as much, but I, I do feel like Pioli did get it wrong, and that's not entirely his fault with the injuries, but he did get it wrong. Yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day, I think Inter will be happy because the two not up, and I think AC Milan will be happy because they didn't concede more than the two goals. And when you watch the match, one thing like we were saying, like all oh, this thing with the midfield made it really easy for it, really exposed Tamori and Kiar. Like a lot of people were giving Tamori a lot of stick on Twitter because people give Tamori stick when he doesn't play or he doesn't look like he plays well. But he couldn't really do much when he just had guys just absolutely running him ragged. But I think one of the major reasons that they're still in with a shout in the next leg is, as always, is Mike Magnon. He was so good. Like I'm, We're going to talk about the inter-goals on the inter-half of this, but he was just 
so imperious. Like every single chance that Inter went through, you were kind of like, well, they still need to get past Manion. It wasn't like it was one on one. He's like, oh, they're probably going to score. He was like, no, they need to get past him. He was he was so good off his line. He was so good commanding his area. He made some really good reaction saves. He obviously was really comfortable when Milan were on the ball. And he 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 is a he he is the best keeper in the world currently. Like he's on on such a par way. It's just like he's so consistent, and you can see. We saw throughout the season when he was out and it was Tatsaranu, the just complete and utter collapse in quality. Not just like a slight drop, the complete and utter collapse in quality from that back line. Yeah, I mean, Magnon is exceptional. I think this, this game's a good advert for two goalkeepers who are comfortable with the ball at their feet and are modern and progressive. <laughs> Say that and you're laughing and smiling. But yeah, no, like... Magnon is... I, I would have him top three. I think Alisson, Courtois, him. I think very soon Magnon, Magnon will be definitely far and clear the best. He's a bit younger than... Well, he's a lot younger than those guys, I think. Yeah, I think he's late 20s. He's like, well, late, 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 mid-late. Yeah, 20s. I think, like, what he brings to this Milan team in possession, what he can do is shot-stopping. Like, he's he's everything. And he's probably, like, the biggest asset apart from Leal. Just, just because Leal has that sort of superstar factor but I think once Magnon takes over from Lloris which he definitely should have done in the World Cup anyway he'll be like a he'll be a huge huge name if he's not already like the save from the Jekyll chance in the second half was kind of shows you Magnon's like goalkeeping style like he was out on that like a flash like a lot of goalkeepers would have been a bit tentative on that it's, again you're laughing <laughs> yes i mean him I'll let you just say the name danny i'm <laughs> no, okay no. i'll be no, fine no, it's okay stay here um <laughs> but yeah i mean Magnon got they got Magnon for very little money obviously there's some dealings with the Elliot group in both lille and milan so it may have been a bit easier but he's been a title winning goalkeeper in France and a title winning goalkeeper in Italy already and he will be France's number one for the foreseeable future like he is an incredible player back on Tamori I thought him and Kier were were quite poor they jumped at times to try and get the ball that they shouldn't have I think I think uh, yeah but I think that in senses like I'd say because I've had to witness this for so much time it's just there was just so much space in front of him. And I feel like, yeah, sometimes it is the fact that they needed to do better. But I think other times it was just like they jumped because there was just too much space in front of them for people to make decisions. And they needed to make a decision quickly because of that amount of space. That's true. Especially on, on Mkhitaryan's goal, to a lot of people it might look like there's just too much space between Tamori, who kind of jumps out, and Hernandez, who's obviously the left back. Uh, someone needs to be tracking that midfield runner like it needs to come from the midfield to stop that run like DeMarco's pass isn't great it's just a ball along the edge of a box and Mkhitaryan is able to pick that up take a what is an excellent first touch but has all the space in the world to just fire it past a goalkeeper who has absolutely no chance like it's well yeah if you watch that the greater thing of that goal like I find like what kind of happens is, is Krunic steps out position completely and Tonali kind of steps to cover the man that he's left. And usually, like, what would happen is if it was, like, Benacer and um, Tonali or, like, and if they do a three, maybe, like, Padip Vega, 
It's like Benacer and Pabega would be marking the kind of like outfield runners, and Tonali would then drop to like so there's not like a just a giant space between the centre backs because they kind of like spread out a little bit, and obviously the three at the back kind of helped a bit. But it was just the fact of it looked like Tonali had to go child minding because Krunic had just completely and utterly lost his man, and then like there was just this massive gaping chasm of space. <laughs> For Mkhitaryan to work into. Yeah, it was all broken. Uh, like the the midfield is like, and I've seen it firsthand being a Liverpool fan this season. But like, when the midfield doesn't work, nothing else really works unless you have like a very very elite talent. And Milan do and and Leal in attack, and they do with Manion and goals. So you're able to sort of stick with it. But they're fifth, and they were champions last season, and that midfield isn't working. A lot of the time, Benacer's had a few injury issues, I think, this season. Tenali's a constant in there, but Tenali is, like... I don't think Tenali would ever be that guy that would, like, lead a midfield. He's much more, like, an accompaniment. He's someone that will complement a controller well. Like, I have had a few doubts on Tenali, but there is quality there, and he is is good at breaking up play. He does have good set-piece delivery. He can be a good passer of the ball. But if you're putting him next to Krunic, who's not keeping his shape like you said he's out of position he's not Krunic isn't receiving the ball and driving with it and and spraying out wide he's not really doing anything in there um, Tonali's going to look worse and he's not going to be able to do his job effectively and especially if you're if Leal's out and you're pushing Benacer up you're taking away from that midfield because Benacer's the only guy you can sort of stick up there the squad has some holes in it they need addressing I think yeah I mean uh, one other positive that we probably we haven't touched on yet, which thing was James Harncastle reported yesterday that Rafael Leal is signing a new five-year deal, so that kind of removes that that point of uncertainty from Milan. Though it does still have question marks, like there are going to be some people who are going to come to Milan and go, "How much do you want for Manion?" I think there's there a couple of teams that will probably do that. Chelsea comes to mind in that regard. And I think that one of, one of the big ones they're going to have to replace it. I think that teams are going to be in for Benacer because I think teams are actually finally realizing he's actually just very, very good and a very good controlling midfielder. But if they get if they lose Benacer, that midfield needs a massive rework. Um, obviously, Tonali kind of stays in there as your kind of main guy, but you need a new controlling midfielder and you need to improve that depth because it is just it is a bit messy after that. Is there anything you want to say on Leal's contract? I mean, obviously, I think it's just a good thing for Milan that they've actually managed to hold down this guy because he definitely was going to go somewhere else and be great. Absolutely huge for the club, like huge, because there's no guarantee that they have Champions League football next year. Leal's 23. He would have the pick of nearly every club. So I think he's been linked to Chelsea, like you said. He's been linked with City. He's been linked with PSG. To show the faith in the club... And like even even if he turns around in the year and he says, "I would like to leave," uh, like Milan don't qualify for the Champions League next year, it, next season is, isn't a success. That five-year deal really holds his value. You're gonna get a lot, a lot of money. Probably looking at like one of the biggest fees a Serie A club has ever seen. So the fact that he wants to stay and he's bought into the city, the project, the club. That is, that's a huge boost for Milan. Obviously, last night didn't go well, but it's not over. And they still obviously can qualify for the Champions League, so that should really lift them. And it was disappointing it wasn't there last night. And yeah, the midfield does need a rework. I mean, Krunic is 29. He's not a young guy. 
and he's not good enough. Pabega looked really good at Torino and he looked good at Spezia before then on loan. But he he is a depth option. I don't think he'll ever really be a starter at Milan. And then if Benacer goes, you need like a very, very good controlling midfielder to come in. So now we'll, we'll take a thing to swap twins. Because obviously Milan didn't play that well, but I think... I, I, and like helped Inter a lot, but I think Inter still played very well. And they obviously were, they should have had many more goals. They worked well to get those chances, but obviously Manion stopped them. And we'll talk quickly on the goals. Obviously, we talked a lot of Mkhitaryan chance. I still think it was well taken. I think he did really well with the chance once he had it. But that first goal from Dzeko was really nice finish. There was nothing Manion could do. Either. The, the amount of power he managed to get on it with the side of his foot was insane. And I've put down in the notes that it was very Giroud-esque in the sense of, I think I think it was, to, was it Chiara or Tamori? I can't remember who was marking him at the point, but they were so tight to him. Like there was absolutely no space and he still managed to just get his foot around and get onto it. That was very Giroud-esque. It was, uh, it was Calabria. So they Inter managed to, managed to get the mismatch in height and, fi- and physicality there. If you like watch it slow-mo, like they're all over each other. But Dzeko just has that physical edge, and like you said, there was those are the sort of goals you don't save. They're the sort of goal, like Calabria didn't really do anything wrong. He obviously is less physically imposing than Dzeko, and maybe he should have hooked his foot. But like that's very harsh. The fact that Dzeko can sort of hook his foot round a player and smack it into the roof of the net, like the two goals on Tuesday night's game like Vinicius Juniors and Kevin De Bruyne's were exceptional but that one might have been the goal of the semi-finals just like how difficult a chance that is and how well executed it is and Dzeko's had quite a poor season by all accounts I mean he like he has 36 but yeah he really rolled back the years there like that was exceptional and he's been such a good player and now he's got a Champions League semi-final goal yeah, it was really the old guard showing out because obviously Jack. I think he's thirty-seven now. He's actually even got got even older, as everyone does. Time is an ever constant crawling entity. Um, <laughs> uh, but, and also Mkhitaryan's thirty-four, which makes me feel old because I remember him at United in his, in his mid-twenties. Um, but then obviously Brazil, they have other players. They have Brazil, which they have. Colin, I, it's a lot of older veterans. I'm, I'm trying to think. What I'm trying. I was trying to think of players' names, and it just struggled. But it's a lot of older veterans who are kind of making their mark and giving this as their like last chance to get to a final with Inter. But one player who didn't start the match, he came on later on, we'll talk about that in a second, was Brozovic. He's been a stalwart of their midfield for many years now. But this year's his legs have kind of... It's been a weird balance because his legs are going out so he can't play as effectively as he used to, but he is still their best midfielder on the ball um, in terms of how he controls possession. There's arguments with Barella, we'll talk about him as well. But I don't think, yeah, the AC uh, Milan team didn't make it look hard for them, but they were very, they looked very comfortable, that midfield trio. Yeah, they were very, very good. Chalinoglu, obviously, former Milan player who crossed the divide directly, was was good. Um, he's kind of dropped deeper this year, become sort of this deep, deeper playmaker. He had that chance well it wasn't really a chance but he smacked post with like an incredible shot which Chalinog was kind of known for his long range shooting and set pieces he was very good Barella was Barella I think I think it was Alex Stewart who said Barella's like if you gave Iniesta steroids 
It was like if you got that, if Iniesta had that dog in him, was what he said. The, after that, after Chilwell hit the post, it kind of got floated back into the the Milan box, and Barella did this outrageous pass. I can't even like it was. I don't even know how he did it. Like it dropped out the sky, and he managed to like. I don't know if it was a Rabona or if he just hit it so cleanly it kind of looked like one, and he created another chance. Like he is. It's one of my favourite players. Like, oh, f- he was exceptional, exceptional. I knew he played well because what happens is when players, when midfielders play well, they get linked to United for a completely different position. It's like, ah, oh, yes, Morella played really well as an advanced eight. Let's go and play him as a controlling six who likes to pick up the ball off the centre backs. I'm like, that's just not Barella in any way, shape, or form. So please stop talking. Um, so I knew he played well, but yeah, I saw that. I saw that app before. He he. Some of the flicks and some of the passes he was pulling off just with like minuscule amount of time and space was just really, really nice to watch. He is one of my favourite players as well. It's something me and Danny agree on in this podcast is is our love of Nicola Barella. And then later on in the game, they brought Brazovic on. And I, I kind of wrote here is, it, is, I think that's kind of Brazovic's role in these latter games. Like obviously he's been playing this season, but I think his legs are those last few games when they when in were losing quite a lot you could see that time had taken its toll on his legs and i think this kind of role of him coming in later on seeing games out just being comfortable on the ball just being nice and able to just keep a hold of it is is very good for him and i think that that's kind of suits this cup football as well that if inter do manage to get ahead because we're going to talk about a bit of the match next week and a bit of the future I do think that he's going to be definitely needed just to kind of calm everything down if everything starts going right for Inter. His like he's so press resistant, he's so calm on the ball. Ball, um, he can like really just dictate the pace of the play. Obviously, he has been poor this season. He's he is old. He's played a lot of football. I mean, like Croatia as well. He's been a key part of that midfield that everyone loves. So he's played like he's gone deep in summer and winter tournaments as well. So it's it's been a lot of football, but yeah, to bring someone like that on, and often you can bring a player like that on to kind of dictate tempo if you're winning, and it doesn't really work. You kind of mess up the flow of the game. You kind of you ask them to start cold, like the game's been going on, it's got a natural flow, and you're asking someone to come in and and just calm that down. Sometimes that doesn't work with Brozovic. It, it tends to just work. He's able to just kind of take over a game very naturally when he comes in. And yeah, Simone Inzaghi, he's a, he's a cup football manager, really. Like, he's he's never done too well in, in the league. He's done he's done well, but he won a Coppa Italia at Lazio, Inter in the Coppa Italia final this year. He's obviously in the Champions League semi-final. He's very good at winning little matchups and and getting through cup games it's it doesn't work as well during a 38 game season but it does work in cup football and i think him identifying that maybe brozovic not starting these games but going with going with a different three man field and then bringing brozovic on is 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 good coaching uh, really and um, yeah brozovic is i don't think maybe he'll start next week maybe but i don't think he would i think that um, Inzaghi will probably keep the same three and then, depending on how it's going, just bring on Brozovic to see out that game. Yeah, I think next week's going to be an interesting one. Obviously, we've talked a bit about the sort of little bits that will be different. Obviously, Leal will probably be back. Hopefully, Benacer will be back. I don't know if he's going to be injured because obviously he went off with the injury. 
Um, so Pioli will probably make some changes in terms of his team for that. I think that Inter probably are in the driving seat. I think they've got a better, as you said, they've got a better manager for cup football. They've got a better team. They've got better depth. They've kind of got everything there. And then if they win that, then the next stage is the final, which is against Real Madrid or Manchester City, which is never an easy game, either one of them. Uh, but that's one of the questions we had. It was very, it was very um, technical. He asked, "What percentage do we think?" There was um, Aditya said, "If Inter do go through, what percentage would they have of winning their first CL since the 2010 treble?" Five, maybe ten. It depends on. It depends. I don't know. I don't see them. I don't really see them beating either. Like obviously, but I think I think they could beat both. They obviously they don't have as much quality, but they do have individual quality and a system that works in cup football more than it does in league football so like Jekyll could kind of do some like do what he did last night Lataro yeah this is the thing this is what I was going to say it comes down to the strikers it really does come down to the strikers whether in the Milan have a chance like Jekyll's older but if he gets a chance in front of goal he'll probably take it because Edison's not as good a shot stopper as um, Magnon like if, if, if I think Lukaku, if he manages to actually get up to speed, he could be a real problem for uh, City's defence. And Lotaro Martinez, it's an absolute toss-up. He could turn up as one of the best forwards in the world. Like last night, we last night was probably one of the first matches I've seen in a long time where Lotaro Martinez actually looked okay. Like he was just he was in the middle ground where he like he has, did some really good things, didn't do some good things. He kind of was all right. Like, he, he either, usually is either one of the worst strikers you've ever seen in your life because he just doesn't know how to hit a football right or an absolutely God-given talent who just can absolutely tear a team apart. And if you get that against anyone, then you're in for a really good game because they can just get it to him because he'll just find space and he'll just finish it. I think a, a big thing as well is, and like before I kind of touch on it, I think Federico De Marco was very good last night. He's obviously very good going forward. He is almost like a midfielder that plays in sort of that wing-back position. But the wing-back matchup to City's wingers or to Real Madrid's wingers defensively from an Inter standpoint is not good. Like, Vinicius Jr. running at Denzel Dumfries is only going one way. Like, really. And yeah, you have the, the top 10 right centre-back think it's usually a Cherby that plays right. Yeah, he was a Cherby. Damian plays in the centre, which was always strange to me, but he does. I don't know. There's something very, like, they always are playing better than I think they are in my Like, they're not... I don't think Damian's that good, but he obviously plays better than I think what I... Like, my perception of him. But I still would expect, like, the matchups and attack kind of kill Inter in a final, I think. Yeah, it's the trade-off of Denzel Dumfries. Like in my head, I'm like Denzel Dumfries could probably cause a problem for both Camavinga and whoever City are playing left back at that point, um, because he just will absolutely storming to him like an absolute madman. But at the same time, if I look at the reverse, it's like Denzel Dumfries against Vinicius Junior or Jack Grealish is just an absolute murder, and I would not want to wish that on any defender or any sort of fan having to watch that with their eyes because it would be awful. Who is Denzel Dumfries going to cause more chaos for himself or the opposition? Like he is like a, he's like a f- human bowling ball. Like he'll just crash into people, he'll crash into the box. He's... 
He's right-sided Marcus Alonso. That's it. That's that's just, that's just what he is. He's just Marcus Alonso. Like if you if you if you want a definition of what Denzel, like if you want a definition of what Denzel Dumfries does and why you shouldn't sign him, Marcus Alonso. It's just that he just doesn't get back. He doesn't defend well. He just is very attacking. Like he's just very good at getting in the box, um, which which is good in cup football as we've already discussed. But then also not very good when you're actually going to be put one v one versus one of the best players. 1v1 in the world so one of those things <laughs> but I, yeah I think I think that kind of rounds it out obviously we didn't speak that much on Inter it kind of was a little bit more of a AC Milan and not very good Inter Milan were very good and didn't do much wrong but not much special and AC Milan did a lot wrong uh, but there's another leg uh, again at the San Siro they're going to flip they're going to get more fans for Inter, I think Inter now have home field advantage in terms of the fans, but it's obviously the same field. But it'll be an interesting game. Yeah, we'll, pro we'll probably talk about the second leg next week, I think. We'll just probably just round this up with two, two, two episodes because it'll probably be a very interesting matchup. I'm, I'm expecting it to be much different in terms of the tactics. But I think that's everything for this week. Again, thank you for tuning in. We are, we're back with the weekly uploads now that Danny has sunned himself away and had a nice relaxing time in Spain. But, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your questions on social media. Uh, and, yeah, we'll see you after the match next week. So, see you next time, and ciao.